0: beautiful day got a beautiful service for you good message we're continuing in our series called seeing jesus and uh, our theme verse it'll be on your uh, worship folder that you got when you came in in the outline there and it's also up on the screen paul wrote to the corinthians church he said you'll remember friends that when i first came to you i didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy i deliberately kept it plain and simple first jesus and who he is then jesus and what he did jesus crucified and so that's what we're trying to do in this series we're keeping it plain and simple jesus and who he is then jesus and what he did and today we're seeing jesus as the teacher Uh, in the gospels matthew mark luke and john over forty eight times jesus is called a teacher and it's a title of honor of respect of prestige teacher. People would traipse out to remote locations. They would sit for hours and hours without food, even without coffee, in order to hear Jesus teach. Why? Because he taught like no one else they'd ever heard teach. Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke with confidence. He spoke with power like no one else. He was authentic and real and relevant. He was interesting. He was funny. We all love uh, the funny teacher. But probably the most powerful method of teaching that Jesus used, the thing that distinguished Jesus the most from the other teachers of his day was he actually demonstrated what he taught. He actually lived out the life that he was telling us God wanted us to live. He taught by example. John 13:15 Jesus tells his disciples says I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And that verse, the context of that example that he set, was the night before he went to the cross, and Jesus was setting an example of what humility looks like. He didn't just tell the disciples, hey, you guys need to be humble. He demonstrated for them what humility looked like. And Jesus, the one of whom the Bible says that every knee will bow before him Jesus the God man knelt before his disciples and washed their feet and imagine the thoughts going through Jesus's mind going through Judas's mind as Jesus knelt before Judas who would betray him and washed his feet imagine the thoughts going through Jesus's mind and Peter's mind as he knelt before Peter who in just a few hours would deny him and washed his feet Jesus gave us an example of humility. He taught us what to do in the difficult relational situations of life. Uh, He modeled for us how we're supposed to live. Now, when is it that you and I most need a teacher? And when do you and I most need an example to uh, follow? When, When do we most need a model for us to look at? Well, it's when we don't know what to do. It's when we don't know what to do. That's when we need a teacher. We find ourselves in a situation we've never encountered before. We find ourselves facing something new or maybe more difficult than we've ever encountered. We find ourselves in over our skill level, and we don't know what to do. That's when we need a teacher. But in the absence of a teacher or when we don't know what to do, maybe maybe you're newly married, maybe it's your first child, maybe you're dealing with your first teenager, maybe it's your first serious illness, your first financial crisis, you know, some situation you've never been in before. What do I do when I don't know what to do? And sadly, Proverbs 14.12 lays out typically what we do. It says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, we don't know what to do on our marriage. We don't know what to do with our kids. We don't know what to do with our money. We don't know what to do with a struggling business. We don't know what to do with relational conflict with a friend. We don't know what to do with failing health. We're in a new season in life. What do we do? Well, on your notes, usually we try and fix it ourselves. We try and fix it ourselves. I don't need any outside help. I don't need a teacher, I don't need a counselor, I don't need a pastor, I don't need to seek advice from anyone. I can fix it myself. Have you ever tried to fix something yourself and realized that rather than fixing it, you had just made it worse than than it was? I've got some examples for you here of people trying to fix it themselves and see if you can identify with any of these. The first one and at first glance this one actually looks pretty good I mean it took me a minute to realize hey wait a minute they just taped a piece of paper up there and wrote some numbers on it and uh, six looks a little weird but you know I guess maybe it's working for them uh, the next one you know what do you do when your microwave breaks and you got some squid rings you want to heat up well you know you just stick them on a fork in front of the space heater and don't worry the grease drippings will just blend right into the carpet don't worry about that. Uh, this one. <laughs> and, uh, the Avon lady got a charge out of that one. <laughs> and, uh, and then I love this one. <laughs> yeah. Because in that split second before you get rear-ended, you want to be able to reach over and turn on your brake lights. You know, that's... Uh, I admitted in the other services that I've actually done this one, but I'm not going to tell you guys that. But the truth is, you know, some of these are funny. uh, They're creative. uh, Some of them even work. But it's one thing uh, when you're trying to fix your doorbell yourself or trying to come up with a creative way to heat up your squid rings, and it's a whole different thing when you're trying to save your marriage or when you're trying to raise a difficult teenager. I mean, suddenly your do-it-yourself efforts look more tragic than creative or funny. So most of us learn we can't fix it ourselves, and so then next we look to other people. Look to other people. Three times in Proverbs it uses the phrase in a multitude of counselors. Uh, We look to other people. In a multitude of counselors there is wisdom. In a multitude of counselors there is safety. In a multitude of counselors, there is success. So three times, you know, it tells us, you know, it's okay to look for help. Look to other people. Three times. Over 20 times, it cautions us about taking the advice from a fool. Because, yes, you need to look to other people, but you've got to look to the right people. And, uh, and one of my life verses is Proverbs thirteen twenty, He who walks with the wise grows wise but a companion of fools suffers harm and if you don't know what to do and you're going to look to other people you want to make sure they are wise people and not wise guys you know if a common saying among your friends is hey guys watch this (laughs) followed by a trip to the emergency room then you may want to trade up on who you're seeking counsel from and because uh, you've got to get good counsel in life, uh, Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." He says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." And sometimes, sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to imitate Jesus. Those are big sandals to fill. And sometimes it helps. It's it's easier to find another person who's following Christ, someone more our size. And we can follow them and imitate them and do what they do. But, and, the, and Paul tells us, do that. But you got to pick the right people. Jesus says if the blind follow the blind, they both wind up in the ditch. So if you spot a wise person, follow them, imitate them. If you spot a fool, you want to you back off, look for somebody else. Another thing we do when we don't know what to do is we learn to live with it. We get to the point where we give up trying to change. We, this is just the way I am. And this is just how I'm going to be. And honestly, for me, this is one of the saddest choices. You know, when people give up and decide to live in their brokenness, decide to live in their sin, when they decide they're going to just tolerate their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, rather than moving toward the help and healing that Jesus Christ offers, to me, that, that's just tragic. It's tragic because it it begins to nullify the work of Christ. Jesus Christ died and rose again so that we don't have to live that way. He offers us a new, eternal, abundant life. He offers us the opportunity to become like him and for us to say, nah, I'll just be the way I am. To me, that that is just tragic because the truth is we are all called As believers, as God's children, we are called to continue to grow and mature and improve until we become like Christ. Every one of us needs to press on until we become all that Christ wants us to be. None of us ever reach a point where we can give up and just stop growing in Christ. The Bible calls us to set aside our sin, not sit down and cuddle up with it. So we've spun our wheels, we tried everything else, we've wrapped our life up with duct tape and bailing wire, we tried to fix it ourselves, we've used up our human resources, decided we're just going to tolerate it, and then we realize it's intolerable. What do we do? Well, finally, we turn to God. After exhausting all the other options, we finally decide to turn to God. But what God wants us to do is to flip that list on its head. God wants us to turn to Him First, that's why he sent Jesus Christ to live as an example for us. It's time for you and me to see Jesus as the teacher. Look at Ephesians 5.1, and you want to know how to live. It says, watch what God does, and then you do it. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn, circle that word, learn a life of love. New Century Version says, you are God's children whom he loves, so try to be like him. Jesus didn't come and just give us some commands and instructions. He set an example for us to follow. He gave us a model that we can imitate. And so I want to give you four areas where Jesus can serve as an example. Four areas where he can serve as a model for us to follow. First, he came to show us how to overcome temptation. Not how to succumb to temptation. We already know that one. He taught us how to overcome temptation. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness specifically for the purpose of being tempted. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said. And then in this encounter, the devil tempts Jesus in three areas. First, he wants Jesus to satisfy his hunger, satisfy his flesh by turning stones into bread. Next, he wants Jesus to test God's power, test God's love for him by throwing himself off to the highest point of the temple. And he, the devil says, if you do that... That God will send the angels to catch you won't that be spectacular to see and then the angel takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says you know if you'll bow down and worship me I'll put you in control of all of these kingdoms and what he's trying to do there is thwart God's redemptive plan he's trying to get Jesus to commit the same sin that the devil did in other words defying God and setting himself up and in each of those temptations Jesus responds by quoting the Word of God. So, on your outline, write down the word, Word. Jesus modeled for us how to overcome temptation. It's through the power of the Word of God. And Jesus went into the wilderness. He went in there to be tempted, to set the example. He knew what was going to happen. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He is tired, he's hungry exhausted, weak, and here comes the enemy. And just like in your life, when you're tired and weary and worn out and weak in the most vulnerable moments of your life, the enemy shows up and tempts you, tempts you to satisfy your flesh, tempts you to put God to the test, tempts you to pursue your plan, plan rather than God's. And Jesus shows us through his example, no, 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 you don't have to succumb temptation you can overcome temptation and you overcome temptation through the power of the word of God man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God and I invite just imagine what would your life be like if instead of succumbing to temptation you overcame temptation what would your life look like And Jesus gives us an example to follow. He clearly demonstrates that when temptation happens, God's word wins. Apart from God's word, you're alone. You're out there trying to fix it yourself with duct tape and bailing wire. So what do we do? I want to just encourage you. I want to encourage you just to simply read your Bible every day. Just every day, pick up your Bible and just find a reading plan that will take you through the Bible. I'm always amazed how many people can be believers for years and they've never read the Bible, or maybe they read it once. And you, God has given us His whole Word, and, and we just need to read it. And just get a reading plan and follow it. Every day, read a chunk of the Bible. And, you know, this year I've been reading through the chronological Bible. I've been reading through the books in chronological order. And, uh, and frankly, I've been shlogging through the prophets now for weeks. And I'll tell you, it, it's been difficult. I mean, it, it's hard to read some of this. It's much easier to read the Psalms or Proverbs or the Gospels or, you know. But every day I just, and I pray, God, just show me something from your word that will help me today. And it's been amazing, been amazing, the little nuggets and gems that I found in some of these obscure, difficult-to-understand books. But one day, not too long ago, I, I read through three chapters of Jeremiah, and it was a particularly difficult section, and when I was done, I thought, you know, I read every word on these pages, but I didn't understand a word of it. I mean, I just didn't. It was, you know, I, I didn't know. Is this prophecy? Has it been fulfilled? Is it going to be filled? I'm not familiar with who these characters are, or even some of these countries. I just, I don't know this. And uh, frankly, I didn't have time to stop, pull out a commentary and a study Bible and dig in there and try and unravel all of that. And so I thought, what was the point of reading that? And then it dawned on me that, you know, I didn't understand a bit of it, that God understood every bit of it. And I thought, you know, if God is smart enough that he can understand all of this, then he's smart enough to understand and help me with anything that comes my way today. And so God and I and the prophet Jeremiah, we just saddled up and waited into my day. And, you know, I thought, I'm just going to read this stuff because God tells me to. And I'll discover what's there for me. And if there's nothing there for me, it at least shows me that God is God and I'm not. And I'll just do what he tells me to do. But really, as you read through God's Word, what what really happens most of the time is you just begin to become familiar with God's Word, with the people, with the events, with the stories, with the principles. More importantly, you become familiar with God. And you'll begin to discover what God is really like, what Jesus is really like. Not, Not just the God and Jesus that you make up in your own mind, but the God and Jesus in the Bible. So when the tempter comes and he wants you to do something contrary to God's Word or contrary to the character of God, you'll be able to say, no, 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 I'm not doing that because I remember in God's Word this is the truth. And you won't succumb to temptation. You'll overcome temptation. But apart from spending time in the Word of God, you're just out there on your own. You're just blind leading the blind or following the blind into a ditch. So you've got to read the Word of God if you're going to overcome temptation. Jesus set the example. second thing Jesus models for us is how to face impossible situations. In John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick, and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they send for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. And Jesus gets the word, but he doesn't come right away. In fact, the Bible says he waited two days before he left to travel to where Lazarus was. And he even tells his disciples, he says, listen, guys, by the time we get there, Lazarus is going to be dead. And he tells the disciples that, you know, I'm doing this in order for you to see the glory of God. I think this is hilarious. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, guys, watch this. (laughs) And when Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead. He's buried in a tomb in the cemetery. Lazarus' sister Martha comes out. She meets Jesus. She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She says, I know that because I read it somewhere in Jeremiah. <laughs> okay? So Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world. After Martha said this, she went, she called her sister Mary. She said, Mary, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. And so Mary comes out, and Mary fell at Jesus' feet, and she said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, as they've obviously talked about this. But I want you to see, this is not an accusation on their part. This is a statement of belief on their part. They're saying, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Martha says, but even though he's dead now and you're here, I know something's about to happen. And Mary's the same way. You know, she asked, it's not a complaint, it's just a statement of faith. Jesus, you know, you you can do something about this. Where have you laid him, Jesus asked. They led Jesus to a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Martha said, no, 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 wait a minute, he's been dead for four days. He smells. I love the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. (laughs) And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and prayed to the Father, and then he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And I always point out at this point that it's a good thing he said Lazarus, because if Jesus just would have yelled, come out, the whole cemetery would (laughs) have emptied. Okay? So he's very specific. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, his hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes and cloth around his face, he staggers out of the tomb. And Jesus says, take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. Lazarus Lazarus was dead. He was wrapped up. He's in the tomb. He smells. He's gone. And Jesus' question to Mary and Martha was, do you believe? Do you believe? That's what Jesus is asking you in your impossible situation. Do you believe? Are you willing to let him show you the glory of God in your impossible situation? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's the solution here. The solution is faith. Faith in an impossible situation. And when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw that they believed, he cried, Lazarus, come out. And stinky old dead Lazarus got up and walked out of that grave. Now, I am not telling you that Jesus is going to raise your dead relatives now. But I believe he's going to raise them. Like Martha, I believe he'll raise them on resurrected day. Anybody who places their faith and trust in Christ believes that he's the son of God. Jesus promises that He'll give them eternal life. So I'm not telling you that Jesus will raise your dead relatives now. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. Not even in Scripture does it happen very often. But I am telling you that Jesus can raise a dead marriage. And Jesus can raise a dead family. And He can raise a dead career. And He can raise a dead checkbook. And He can raise a dead business. And He can move into an impossible situation... And show you the glory of God if you believe. Faith, it's the example. Third example, Jesus teaches us how to submit to God's plan. You know, as human beings, we struggle with submission to God's plan. Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to our own way. And we we all have this urge in us to walk in the opposite direction of God's plan for us. It's just ingrained in us to resist God's plan. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And the solution here is obedience. Obedience. I don't know what God's telling you to do. I mean, it may be to change jobs, it may be to break a bad habit, it may be to end a bad relationship, it may be to commit to a good relationship, it may be to change your parenting style, it may be to overcome a temptation. I don't know what God is telling you to do, but if God is telling you to do it, I'm telling you to do it. You need to be obedient. Jesus set the ultimate example of obedience. Jesus Christ was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Peter says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And honestly, I'm learning to enjoy this one uh, much more now than when I was younger. I'm, I'm, the longer I serve Jesus, the more I discover that obedience is the way to go. Obedience is... The way to go. Because in your marriage, in your finances, in every area of your life, blessing follows obedience. You obey, and then the blessing comes. And Jesus set the example for this this one big time. I mean, just a few hours before he went to the cross, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. The betrayal, the arrest, the beating. The scourging, the cross. He knows it's coming. And so he prays to the Father, and he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In in that amazing submission to the will of God, in that amazing act of obedience, Jesus just said, you know, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. And from that point on, Every step was a step of obedience. Every step was a step of purpose. Every step had a name behind it. Your name, my name. As Jesus Christ was obedient even to the point of dying on the cross. What a teacher. Finally, Jesus wanted to teach us how to show unconditional love. And write down this word. Unconditional love, the word is forgiveness. 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 That's how Jesus taught us to show unconditional love. And in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited to dinner at one of the religious leaders' house. And so he's uh, sitting in the Pharisee's house, and a woman comes in, and she kneels down at Jesus' feet. And everybody in the room knows who this woman is. I mean, she's the biggest sinner in town. Uh, You name it, she's done it. And this sinful woman uh, comes in and she kneels down at Jesus and begins weeping. And she's weeping so much that her tears are falling on his feet. And she takes her hair and she wipes his feet, wipes her tears with his hair. And then she takes an alabaster jar with perfume in it. And she breaks it open and she pours the perfume on Jesus' feet. And this religious leader and everyone in the room is just stunned By her actions and the religious leader even even says you know if if Jesus knew if he was really a prophet and really knew who this woman was he would not tolerate this and so suddenly they put Jesus on the suspect list and Jesus said to him he said Simon I have something to tell you tell me teacher he said and Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon you see this woman I came into your house, you did not give me water to wash my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. I came into your house and you didn't greet me with a kiss, yet this woman, ever since I've been here, she hadn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head as a sign of respect, and yet this woman has poured perfume all over my feet. Why do you suppose she's done that and you've done what you've done? And it's because she understands. She knows what she's done. She knows that Christ will forgive her. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And forgiveness allows us to purify our hearts. And Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart will see Jesus. They'll see him as the teacher. And we can follow his example of unconditional love and forgiveness. Listen, there are some people you need to forgive. You need to follow Jesus' example. Just, uh, you are surrounded by people who have let you down. And you wake up every morning with unforgiveness in your heart because of what they've done. And this woman, uh, she washed Jesus' feet because she knew he would forgive her. But when Jesus washed Judas's feet, he knew Judas was going to go betray him. When Jesus washed Peter's feet, he, he knew that Peter was going to go deny him. And he knew what they were going to do. In fact, he told them what they were going to do before they did it. And yet he forgave them. It was premeditated forgiveness. It was unconditional love. And maybe you just need to wake up every day and in your marriage... And with a friend, with an enemy, with someone at work, someone at school, you just need to wake up every day and forgive them. Just follow Jesus' example of unconditional love. Let's pray together. God, I pray that, that you would help us, that you would help us to follow Christ, that we would see the example that he set for us, and that we would do it. God, help us to overcome temptation. Help us to face impossible situations, to submit to your plan and to forgive and love unconditionally. God, we thank you for the teacher that you've given to us. Help us to see him and follow him every day in every way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.